This is an ABC podcast. You're listening to Culture Compass on ABC Radio Australia. Oh, the whole village got involved and it was quite a frenzy. And when the fishermen turned up with their catch, I'd never seen sharks so big in my life. And the whole village used to reek with the smell of shark. And at my old age, I can still smell the shark. It was a great occasion. The whole village used to be there waiting for the shark boats to come in. Oh, we loved it. In Samoa, shark snaring or tiumalie was a thing of the past by the time I came into this world. But Oscar Stunzner recalls a time when this was of great importance in his childhood village of Lotofanga. And when the whale boats come in, they would notify the village, you know, it's a good catch by spinning their oars up in the air. If the oars don't go up in the air, you know, they got nothing. <laughs> yeah, so what would you be doing? Would people be singing or just standing around, just... Oh, no, they wouldn't be singing. There were a lot of jabbering around, you know. Oh, do this, do that, do that. And uh, when they divided the shark up, certain portions went to certain chiefs. So no one in the village, even if they caught a shark, they couldn't take it to their home and eat it themselves. It had to be shared. They had to notify the village. I got a shark, and the village mayor, whatever you call him, would come and say, well, this portion goes to chief so-and-so, this portion goes to chief so-and-so. That's how they divided the shark up. Hmm. How did they bring the, the sharks in, and what was it like? Would people just wait on the beach for them to paddle in? What, what would happen? Oh, no, they went out in rowboats, and they'd come in, and, oh, the boat would only be uh, two or three inches above the water. It was so loaded with shark. What they do, they attract the shark through the the loop, and then they grab their tail in a loop, rope, and pull them aboard, and then plunge them to death. And uh, there were a few fishermen in the village with one arm. Oh, I was just wondering, <laughs> did anyone lose a yeah. limb? Yeah, they lost their arm from the shark. Eh? Wow. Yeah. What sort of sharks were they? Well, I don't know. They were huge grey sharks, beautiful animals. Yeah. Yeah, it was a real pity to see them killed, you know, see them lying there. And often when they opened them up, they had babies in their bellies yeah. it was crying shame because they were beautiful animals i guess people ate them and wouldn't waste them though and would you just they'd just catch what they could eat well they only went once a year yeah, yeah. and uh well th- those big uh whale boats they call them would only hold about oh, half a dozen sharks so half a dozen at the most a dozen sharks that's all they could handle so everyone would reek of shark afterwards. So what would be the closest smell to shark? Uh, it's not a fishy smell. It's a different smell. Yeah, it's a very pungent smell. But once you smell it, you'll never forget it. Hmm. Whether the first two notes of Jaws are enough to scare you out of the water or you're enthusiastically watching every minute of Shark Week, you can't deny the power of sharks. All across the Pacific, the ocean and all its life forms are sacred to us as a food source and for our cultures. 
even when we're eating animals from the ocean, is always respectful. I'm Sayuli Salamasina von Reiki, and this is Culture Compass, an exploration of survival, revival, and connection throughout the Pacific. Different countries have their own shark-related rituals. In the New Island province of Papua New Guinea, it's shark calling. The locals believe the shark holds the spirits of their ancestors. The men of the village sing to the sharks to catch them to provide food for the village. But with our marine life being under threat from commercial fishing and environmental factors, can this ancient tradition survive? Okay, first of all, we've been passing. Feeling blame, we've been got interest long, but we still continue. This is Chris Mulligan. He's a chief shark caller in Kono village in the New Island province of Papua New Guinea. Godfrey Abage, who organizes a shark calling festival in New Island, is helping translate for us. Chris has been a carrier of this tradition for many years, and he told me what it feels like when a shark swims up to your canoe. There's always this excitement going on through a sakola, especially those uh, chief sakolas. As he's saying, mm, there's no fear especially, but there is excitement and hoping to catch the sack. That's the kind of feeling that's going through a sakola when the sack approaches the canoe. And I heard him say, I'm the champion. Oh, yes. That's so awesome. Do you remember the very first shark you ever caught? What was that feeling like? Okay, first of all, we've been passing. Feeling blame, we've been got interest long, but we still continue. Long, all in the culture blame, because feeling blame. There was this excitement. There was this pride. And in himself, during the cats, he was telling himself that this culture needs to be transferred to the generation, to the younger people in my generation, in my time. How does he feel when he brings the shark back for the village? There is a own feeling of excitement, pride also, because cats increases only the status of a sakola. And there is this pride and this excitement, and there is so much joy that's circulating the, the event itself where catching sack and bringing it back to the village. Yeah, that's wonderful. Also, why is the shark calling festival important to Chris? Important blame long circling important blame long organizing of the program the festival so that uh, he wants the transfer of skills and yeah it's given to the young generation also. Shark calling is an important part of life in New Island. Godfrey Abage has been organizing the shark calling festival for the last few years, but it's been running for much longer than that. Originally, it aims at providing for the feast in the village. When there is a feast, the man goes out to the sea and then gets stuck for the feast. And in 1994, Father John Glynn was the parish priest. He's an Irishman. And he learned about this upcoming thing in the, in the village, where people come over and give them stuff, and then they explain the, and the, how they catch the stuff. And it was really amazing, and he wanted to learn something about it. So... For us, it was like an ordinary or a normal kind of activity in the village. Just the day-to-day activity, people do it to find protein or catch fish, especially. So he gathered 
most and a lot of subcommons in the community and talk to them and see if there's a way they can do this as a big event. And then he organized because he had this um, idea and knowledge about festival and how to attract tourism. He came up with the idea and then we have our locals who participated. And in 1994, the festival was introduced by this priest in, uh, involving our locals in the village. How are the men selected to be a shark caller? We can look at this question in two parts. First part is that in the clan system, the young men have an obligation to, to this type of religion or to provide for the family. That is to say, they are given the obligation to hunt or proteins. With the selection of who can be the shark caller is, first of all, in the family or in the clan, you achieve, is able to notice or know someone is as possess an ability or as an ability to become a leader, potential to be a leader. And the first thing is probably this particular type of person in the family or in the clan or this young man must be given this type of special skills and knowledge where he can acquire or have to provide for the family or the clan. And the second part of it is um, there are other young men in the clan or the society where they are committed, specifically committed to and learning the skills, coming out their own canons, and um, are able to go out into the booth and collect special um, materials for the, the hunting years. So if someone is committed and also someone is given the specific role or notice, if the leaders or the chiefs have noticed their, the potential to become a leader, then you probably be given the chance to on the, on the selection preference to become the sakona. What is the connection like between the shark caller and the shark? We can see the connection mostly through plant system and through a spiritual um, aspect of this connection. Some plants in my region or in the village, they have the totem of shark, shark at the totem. And let's believe that some of the clans that we came out from the shark or we start giving birth to this particular clan or to these particular people. In relation to shark calling with this connection, there are prayers and chants. I don't know how it was developed, but we have it today. The prayers, are, they have the chants and prayers that, that have some special connection. And I don't know how, how I can best describe it, but the words in the chants, the words in the, in the prayers, some of it are saying, we are part of you, you are part of us. I want you or you want me. There is a connection in this type of um, the chance when they come up with the lyrics why it brings about this connection. There's a three-day lead-up to the festival. What happens in these three days and how do the men prepare? What happens is there is the three days is the fasting period. That's the lead-up and the preparation and what happens during these three days, uh, they prepare hunting gear, they prepare canoes, and they go into fasting. And the young, the young people who were, were given the chance to learn the chants and the prayers and different lips that used for the cleansing itself. This is the period of time where that's what's done on the, on the beach. They're out somewhere in the beach in a sacred place and they're doing that. And then what happens during the festival? And then during the festival, if the shark is caught, if maybe let's say three or four people are able to, to catch the shark, to catch shark, and then it, it's brought to the shore, it's given, it's said among the community, in the community, or 
if we have invited guests, for example, maybe a minister is invited to the, the third calling festival and is um, residing in the village, is privileged to have uh, a piece of sakwit. But mostly it is said among the different clans in the in the community or important people in the community. Can you describe how the shark callers attract the sharks to them? You need um, hunting gears, and one of them is the rattling gear with coconut shells made out of coconut shells and uh, cane from the bush. And you just dip it into the sea and then you rattle it or shake it. You just shake it and then the sound goes out into the deep. And wherever the shark is, few miles away, few kilometers away, we won't be specific with the distance also because we, we, we don't. We really can't measure it in my tradition. We don't have this, but people have realized that sacks can really travel miles within a very short span of time. And they they arrive at the rattling uh, area where you're shaking your, your rattles. And what they think, they're thinking it's the tuna that's surrounding the area and they, they come to approach. But when they approach, they realize there's a, there's a bait. You can uh, drag the bait on the, on the surface of the sea, uh, a few inches into the sea. And that can attract the sack. So then you can lead the sack into the trap using the, the bait. And the festival, does it attract tourists? And also, does it attract people from around Papua New Guinea to come and join in? Previously, yes. We, we have not really marketed the, the event like in big scale. or There is no proper market of the event. And the reason is, is that uh, we are focusing really on the transfer of skills to our young men in the village. And that's because there is a migration in the, in the village where people, our young men, uh, uh, go out for education or some of them, uh, there's this intermarriage, they go out to other provinces because of marriage and also employment. And they don't have the chance to learn the tradition. So... The idea of the festival also is reintroducing the history and the transfer of skills to our young men uh, of the area. And with Papua New Guinea people coming in, and it's because our market has really not reached a level that, uh, that's affecting the people. But this year, Sapolin uh, Festival, we have some people from outside of, of uh, New Island who came for the festival who really wanted to see Sapolin and how it's done. But we, we had the problem with our marketing, so... Uh, not a lot of people came up, but yeah, a few turned up during the festival. Have the shark callers noticed any changes in the number of sharks they see in the water over the years? I was speaking to the chief shark caller yesterday and this morning from their experience because they're really going out to the sea. What's their experience? And they're saying there is now within our area an increased population of sharks. And how did they know about this? Previously, when you go, you, when you go out to the sea and you, you're doing the rattling with the coconut shell calling the stuck in, you, you have one, maybe sometimes you have two sacks that approach your canoe. Right now, that number has increased to sometimes you get three or four sacks approaching your canoe at one time. So they're saying there is an increase of sack within our area. And with the knowledge of the declining of sacks in the Pacific, I was talking to him that probably there is an overfishing or sophisticated use of um, sack catching happening somewhere, and the sack now is shifting into a safer environment, and that's why we 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 are experiencing them in in our, in our place. 
So he was just assuming because previously during the time when they normally go out to get stuck, you, you only get one stuck that approaches the kennel. And we also, this is just from the observation, our observation, and we are assuming things here. But we don't know why previously if you were one stuck approaching a kennel and after so many years right now, we, we, we are seeing maybe more than one stuck approaching a kennel. So what's the reason? So that's not a, our observation. Well, that's wonderful news. That's wonderful for us to hear. More sharks are coming to your area. Why is it so important to keep the shark calling tradition going? I think, first of all, we want to keep a tradition that kept certain people growing and moving into the into the future. Uh, this is how our, our current system grew. During the hours of the shark, now if you if you are, are in the village, most of the shark meet, you can have it with coconut, uh, coconut, dry coconut. And that's normally delicious and the most tastiest food you can have in the village if you have a coconut and a sack meat. So because this way of fishing can feed the whole family, can feed the whole clan at one go, we think it's the best thing or it's a good thing to keep it because of the needs for the fish and mostly to feed the family. And if you will realize in the Melanesian, some of the families, they have more than five people in their family. So if one of them are able to get sucked, can feed the whole family. It doesn't need a special tools, maybe from the manufacturer or somewhere else. Now, all the materials are available in the booth. They can build their own um, traps, their own canoe, and then you are able to get a son that can feed your, your big family. And also, historically, uh, historically, we want to also keep it because there are certain prayers and certain chants within the, that, that's applied during the Sakolin festival that's so sacred to us. And it's a good thing to keep what came from the, the ancient things that came from our ancestors. So I think it's, um, for me, not I think, but I believe I want to really keep the tradition going. It's not so much about attracting tourists to my place, but it's really the idea of uh, survival that comes in where we can hunt and get sub that can feed the community or the family or the clan. Miriam Joseph works in the Wildlife Conservation Society in New Ireland. They're currently working with communities to research and preserve shark populations and other marine life. Joining the conservation team um, has always been an aim with a place as beautiful and diverse as New Island, not to brag. It only feels right and good as a contributing to conserving its pristine state or some of it at least, or doing work in be direct or indirect to help the people make good sustainable decisions as we go on with time. How important are marine animals to the people of New Ireland? Are they a big source of food? I'd say it makes it practically part of every coastal communities here, with 77% of New Ireland population living in coastal areas. It's safe to say um, marine life. It's what is being a big food source. It also plays a role in the livelihood and also is part of their culture too. How have shark populations around New Island and Papua New Guinea been impacted in the recent decades? 
you know that in special, I'm also from um, fishing vessels. So that's one major impact that they have on the sharks around PNG waters and New Island as a whole too. It's researched, but quite sharks, they're threatened with extinction. And it's due to the fishing or the mocheta. Because it's also like fifth most important export fishery in Papua New Guinea sharks. That's what we say, um, the impact that it has on the sharks. So uh, the main threat we're talking about here is overfishing. Is that the main threat in New Island as well? Yes. We just spoke to Godfrey Abage, who is involved in the shark calling festival. He said that shark callers are actually seeing more sharks in the water lately. Do you know why that is? So we say sharks, they are very good or if they show signs that the waters that they're present in, that there is a healthy ecosystem, huh? So if they say that it's as percent and they see that there's like a lot, then it's safe to say the waters that the sharks are present in, say around here, say New Island, then safe to say that the water around here is like, it's healthy. The marine ecosystem here is healthy. From a science perspective, let's say it's due also to seasonal temperature change. It is like they're faced with um, the problems of pollution and warm waters. So we can say that the temperature around here, the waters around here, it's, it's suitable and it's okay for them. Yeah. If the shark populations decline, what kind of overall impact would that have on the local communities and villages? Right. So the last time we went out, say we gave up the information that with shark being a top predator and it being present in waters, giving the sign that the marine ecosystem there is healthy and you say what it declines are. And it's gonna basically, it will be sign through the local communities that already now they'll be seeing that there's less fish or they'll probably saw that um, the coral reef around that area is declining or damaged or if the coral reefs are not okay anymore like they're not in good conditions because sharks give up the sign that they're okay when the coral reefs are in that condition then it also shows that uh, the reef or the fish in that area is also declining and basically it's saying the food source is also now declining why do you think it's so important to preserve the native marine life like sharks? They help keep coral reefs and other marine ecosystems healthy to preserve sharks. And so it can let us know back that the sea around our area is okay, it's healthy, and we got fish in or percent in the ocean. Papua New Guinea is home to one of the most biodiverse marine ecosystems in the world. Jack Sagumai is a Marine Protected Areas Officer for World Wildlife Fund. Their conservation work has led to some exciting rediscoveries. That's one of the best stories that I would like to tell everyone. 
I think this species is very unique. It was first discovered in 1973, and since then, there's no uh, scientific information on the species. So it's almost 48 years, and we did a survey in 2021, and we were able to identify the species. What is this rediscovery? What does it mean for the community? I think it brings them pride that they have such a unique species in their community. And I'm working with them, and they want to establish a protected area. Actually, they want to apply for a new protected area that will cover the range of uh, where they caught the species in order to be able to protect the species because it's quite unique and can only be found in this area only. You work in the Madang province. What's significant about the marine life in that area? Madang is a very unique place. Like, we are located in a Bismarck Solomon Sea's uh, ecoregion, uh, and it's a, it's a biodiversity hotspot for marine life. And the significance of Medang is that we have almost 700 plus species of uh, corals, and we have over 820 species of fish, comprising of about 57% of reef species in PNG and 14% globally. And also, like from the research, there are eight species of fish that are endemic. And one is the sack that I will be talking about later on. It's a very diverse uh, place in terms of marine biology. Marine biodiversity hotspot, that's why like it's worth looking after these things. That's why receive the natural biodiversity and also to educate, uh, educate these people, to, especially our local populations, to manage our resources well because of the rising population and the changes that are happening around us. Climate change is one of them. Why do you think it's so important to preserve the native marine life like sharks? Because we are facing a lot of threats. The rate of extinction for sharks is increased. Like in the recent reports, there are about almost 90 plus percent of sharks uh, population has decreased worldwide. And that's a concern. It's a global concern. And here we are trying to address that. Overfishing is the major threat. Climate change is for species that are endemic, especially the one that I mentioned about Kogulia, if there's a change in climate. Studies haven't been conducted yet, but it could affect those endemic species because they don't have anywhere else to go. It's only this place. And if it's affected by that, then they all die out because their chances of adapting to the new will be slow. And if climate change affects the environment, then I think it will affect their population because they will die out. That's how climate change can affect those uh, threatened uh, and endemic species. But generally, it's overfishing. What would a declining shark population mean for the future of shark calling? Firstly, they will lose their cultural practice. Also in New Island, we have also traditional practices where they use sharks. It's part of their traditional sing sing, where they use sharks to, and there are also stories where the sharks are like spirits where they can either arm you or give you blessings. So like it ties with the, the cultural practices of the people 
And one thing about that, if those sharks are depleted, numbers are depleted or they go extinct, then we will lose that culture. And yeah, that's very concerning. Even though overfishing is threatening marine life, cultural celebrations like the Shark Calling Festival are ensuring that the next generation will know how to respect and protect sharks. If we want to feed the villagers of the future and maintain a healthy ocean ecosystem, it's important that these traditional skills and knowledge are passed on. And as long as that continues, people of the Pacific will always be looking out for the ocean giants. This is Culture Compass on ABC Radio Australia. Culture Compass is hosted by me, Sayuli Salamasina von Reiki. Our ABC Radio Australia executive producer is Falangafulu Inga Stunsner. From Deadset Studios, our producer is Lucy McAfee. Supervising producer is Grace Pashley, and our executive producer is Rachel Fountain. Audio editing and sound design by Nick McCorriston. This episode was produced on the lands of the Turrbal, Jagra and Durrambal people. We pay respects to their elders, past and present. <laughs> <laughs>